We are continuing our messages on Ephesians 2. In the book of Ephesians, as a general background, we see Ephesus mentioned in Acts 18 at the very end, and uh, verse 23 to chapter 19, verse 41. And this was a congregation that was a mixed Jew-Gentile congregation that had come together in Messiah. Now, Jewish people are physical descendants of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. I know you should know, I should know. But only with all three, Abram and Isaac and Jacob, are they Jews. So who's a Gentile? Anybody who's not Jewish. Now this congregation came together and they were mixed Jew and Gentile. And they both believed in Messiah. But because of their difference in background, they struggled to find unity. And Paul is now writing to them saying, the Gentiles are now fellow heirs. Now if I wanted to give this message a title, I would have said, the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Help! How do we deal with this? Because search in the Tanakh and the Old Testament as you like, and you will not find that unity. Yes, there are Gentiles who are coming into the faith. Uh, Ruth is obviously that classic example. Uh, but Rahab or Uriah are others. But they either were Gentiles or they were converts. But they never became Jewish. You cannot become Jewish. You're either a Gentile or a Jew. And now this congregation is struggling with how do we deal with this, Jews and Gentiles. Now in Acts 19, verses 8 and 9, it is the home of zealous Jews. These are not just ordinary Jews, these are zealous Jews. But these Jews are zealous for Messiah. So let's turn there for a second, because this is a key passage to understand. In Acts 19, verses 8 to 9, as he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when they uh, were becoming hardened and were disobedient, speaking evil of the way, that's the messianic way, before the people, Paul then, or Shaul, the apostle, withdraws from them and took away the disciples, these are the Jewish disciples, reasoning daily with them in the school of Tyrannus. So he's now moved the fellowship up to a Gentile place. And these are zealous, these are members who regularly go to synagogue and say, hey, I was quite happy there, but now that I've come to understand that Messiah Yeshua is the way, the truth, the life, I want to be in him, I want to follow the way. So they're now coming into the body. Now Paul, wherever he goes, he creates quite a stir. We see that here too, that he creates a stir in the city. And uh, there is trouble here. And a part of the trouble is that Paul is speaking um, uh, against, I guess, the temple of Diana or Artemis. Uh, and while they're speaking about the great Artemis, and you see that in verses 35 onwards, uh, he's he's downplaying all of that because he's saying it's not about this funny gods it is about the one true God and about the one true Messiah Ephesus was the home of foreign worship pork loving, bacon eating 
eel-eating, horse-eating Gentiles who were very different. They acted differently, they spoke differently, they dressed differently. They were uncircumcised and not part of the covenant. So now that they come together as Jew and Gentile in Messiah, how do we preserve that unity? What do we do with Passover? Can a Gentile eat of the Lord's Passover as a Gentile? Not according to the law. The Torah clearly says no. Now, as you can hear from my accent, I was born in the Netherlands, and when I read through the Apostle Shaul, and I pondered his words here, uh, I wondered what some of the Dutch were doing at that time, but perhaps you're Anglo-Celtic, or Anglo-Saxon, or Indian, or Chinese, or, or whatever your background is, I wonder what your ancestors were doing at the time of Messiah. So when Shaul, Paul, is writing... What were the Ephesians doing? They were worshipping Artemis. What were your ancestors doing? Well, in the Netherlands, they had brutal Druidic practices. The, the Druids uh, were in, in the Netherlands quite strong. And according to Tacitus in his Annals in 1430, uh, he writes that some of their practices were brutal. Uh, they would... Uh, be, be so horrible that they were outlawed in pagan Rome. So I don't know quite what all of the, the worship was like in Ephesus, but you can imagine, like it was in Canaan in old, th there were some unsavory things going on. And so in this mixed ethnic congregation of Jew and Gentile, Paul is now saying, hey, there is unity. And if I came across somebody who was still using human entrails to figure out the future, I would be very unhappy. So Jewish believers at that time, they were looking at these Gentiles and saying, hmm, not only do I have to celebrate the Lord's Feast with them, Leviticus 23, but they are to remain Gentile and accept the Jewish God and the Jewish Messiah. Uh, how do we deal with that? It is radical for Paul to propose this. And so Gentiles coming in. Now the question of Gentiles coming in is something that came up in Acts 15 in the council. Uh, when the Jewish believers uh, heard about Paul and his missionary work, they brought it to the council in Jerusalem and they said, hey, how do we deal with this? Now we read chapter 15 of Acts and we, we read it in a minute and we go, okay, so the council took a minute, but these were days, weeks of discussion. Should Gentiles be accepted as equals on equal footing and historical rights? Because they are so radically different. And on what basis should Gentiles be recognized? Is their belief in Messiah sufficient? Is the gift of the Holy Spirit sufficient? Is there a need for being circumcised? Must they observe the law? Can we associate with Gentiles in regarding to food and other items? These are some of the issues that were discussed. I think one of the other issues that they would have discussed is, can there be one body? Or do we create two bodies, one for the Jews, one for the Gentiles? 
Uh, in other words, a body that follows Peter, Paul, and James, and the other apostles, and one that follows Paul. The question that we have is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an ethnic God. Is he just God of Israel? Or is he also the God of the Gentiles? Those were some of the issues then. And the outcome of this is that they extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul. Now they do state there are some things that they cannot do. And so they give instructions about that. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And, and note that it's the apostles and the Holy Spirit who are in unison speaking. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from fornication, and that you keep yourselves... Sorry, let me try that again. I'm in Acts 15, verse 29. That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Now, to some degree, this is no way a law, but to some degree, this is just to make sure that you can have table fellowship. And at this point, they there is agreement, and there is not an issue. Now, let's stay in Acts for a second, and continue in Acts 15, and look at verse 39. In verse 37... We have Paul and Barnabas who are saying, let's go back and uh, proclaim in every city uh, the word of the Lord. And Barnabas, in verse 37, wants to take John with them, called Mark. So this is John Mark. Uh, but Paul kept insisting that they shouldn't take him along, because he had deserted them at Pamphylia. And he had not gone with them to work. There occurred such sharp disagreement that they separated from one another, and Barnabas took Mark with him, and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, and left being committed to the brethren to the grace of God, or the grace of the Lord. When we read the account that Luke writes, uh, there is some disagreement, it's a sharp disagreement, they separate from each other, it's about uh, John Mark, who didn't come with them, it's. It seems that, and perhaps I'm, I'm reading this wrong, and I hope you'll forgive me if I am, uh, that there is a sharp disagreement, but he, he doesn't quite explain what the issue is. When we come to Galatians 2, in verse 11, but when Cephas, that's Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to the face, because he stood condemned. For prior to coming, the, the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. And when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Barnabas fades into history, but 
it seems that even amongst the believers, the issue of Gentile inclusion into the body, into the new body of Messiah, was a fierce problem. Barnabas had joined Peter in refusing to dine with the Gentiles. Uh, understand that if you're a kosher eating and you suddenly got to eat with the Gentiles, that's a problem. Feel free to bring your own meat. The meat doesn't have to be sacrificed, but this is some of the issues that they encounter and that we encounter today. But Paul is writing that that's not enough to break fellowship. You don't have to eat the ham sandwich. You're free to bring a nice roast beef sandwich. Freedom of the law and observance of the law are no longer the issue. It is the unity of the body that is now becoming the issue. And so we want to preserve the issue, the, the unity of the body, and then allow Jews and Gentiles the freedom to eat, dress, uh, and, and act in a different way without breaking the essentials of the law. And so Gentiles are free to have their bacon and eggs, and Jewish people are free to refrain from this. Peter and Barnabas and some of the Jewish fraction at this point withdraw from this. And that's a great pity. The Jewish Gentile inclusion is significant. With that in mind, let's look quickly at Ephesians 2. And I'm realizing I'm going a little bit long in my introduction. Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 12, you could say, are the Gentiles without Messiah. Ephesians 2, 13 to 19 would be the, Jew, the Gentile inclusion in Messiah. And Ephesians 2, 20 to 22 could be called the Gentiles and Jews in Messiah, the one new man joined in Messiah. So there are three sections here. Let's read verses 11 to 12. Ephesians 2. 11 to 12. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul opens this letter to the Gentiles at this point and says, hey, you are without hope. It is a harsh thing. Uh, he's not calling on the Gentiles uh, to remember their former lives in what they practiced. Uh, Philippians 3.13 uh, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forwards to what lies ahead. But he's saying, remember where you came from so that you don't become arrogant against the natural branches. Something that we hear in another letter from Paul. And so here he says to them, remember that at that time you were separated from Messiah. Okay, uh, these are the Gentiles in the flesh. They are called Gentiles because they are outside of the covenant people. They are in the flesh. Uh, this is the formerly, you know, sins, the lust of the flesh, 
things that cannot please God, Romans 8.8. 8. Paul declares that Jew and Gentile now need to be not in the flesh but in the spirit. And it also helps us understand that Jews saw Gentiles uh, as sinners, Galatians 2.15. Uh, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. The Jewish people as a whole saw the Gentiles as fleshly people. They were uncircumcised. This is the circumcision that was made by hands. In other words, he's referring to the Mosaic Covenant, the conditional covenant, not the unconditional covenant. But in this conditional covenant, Gentiles entered by right of circumcision made by hands. Uh, Paul adds to this in Colossians 2.11. In him, that's Messiah, you were also circumcised, not with a circumcision made by hands, but by putting off the body of flesh, by the circumcision of Messiah. This is a circumcision of the spirit, which all of us will need to have. At this point, Gentiles are regarded by the Jews as uncircumcised Philistines, like what David said in 1 Samuel 17. And they were separated from Messiah. This seems to be an obvious statement that they were separated from Messiah, but it means that they were without the, the spiritual blessings of the Messianic hope. They were without the spiritual promises, the messianic promises of the Tanakh, the Old Testament, without the salvation of our God, without the spiritual blessings, without the light of Messiah, without the peace of God, without his comfort, his, his uh, hope, uh, without Messiah, without prophet, priest, and king. They were therefore excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Excluded from the commonwealth of Israel this is this is key because it meant that they were separated completely cut off god had chosen the jewish people deuteronomy 7 verse 6 or deuteronomy 4 32 and 34 and god had chosen them to be his treasured possession but now in messiah where did they fit? They were strangers of the covenants of promise. He talked about the law of Moses, the covenant of Moses, which was conditional. But now he talks about the unconditional covenants, the covenants of promise. Paul is saying that the Gentiles are strangers to all of this. They are strangers to the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic, the land, the Davidic, the new covenant. Uncircumcised of heart Gentiles cannot receive that. Only those who are circumcised in heart, in other words, those who have Messiah with them and in them. Promises such as, I'll be your God. Uh, they have therefore no hope. For Messiah is our hope. And these were without Messiah, without the peace, without the prophet, priest and king. In other words, these Gentiles were lost. It would have been devastating to hear that and to be reminded of that. 
But that's why Paul continues in Ephesians 2 verses 13 to 19. But now, in Messiah Yeshua, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah, for he himself is our Shalom, who made both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of the commandments, contained in the ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one, new man, thus establishing shalom, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and are of the household of God. These are tremendous blessings that are being pronounced here upon those Gentiles that are in Messiah. If you are in Messiah, that's the key here. This is a technical term that Paul will use many times through all of his writings. And he's saying, if you are in, then. If you've been brought near by the blood of Messiah, that is, you've been purified by the blood of Messiah, purified your conscience from dead works to serve the living God, it is by his blood that he freed us from our sins. For he took his blood to the eternal heavenly tabernacle, and he freed us from our sins, having obtained an eternal redemption for us. And so we are now in the one new body. You were formerly far away, but now in Messiah. And he made shalom. The shalom that he makes is not just the absence of war, but of a wholeness. The, the root of shalom also includes wholeness and wellness and well-being. We don't want to go crazy with this, but it's more than the absence of peace. And he did this by breaking down the barrier of the dividing wall. And the physical, that middle wall of partition, that middle wall of division, uh, in the physical was a partition in the temple. In the court of the Gentiles there was an extra barrier closer to the temple that would actually separate the court of the Gentiles with the court of the women. And on there there were plaques, and it said, No stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and the enclosure. Whoever is caught will himself be responsible for his ensuing death. Now that was written on that, that plaque. There were various plaques. One of them was found. It's held in the museum in Constantinople. There's replicas in Israel. And this was the physical barrier, indicating that Gentiles were excluded from the presence of God. But Paul is writing here, because he made us one. Uh, like 
we had a one new man, the spiritual man. We had a one body now because he's removed that barrier and Gentiles, as Gentiles, can come into the presence of God. But Paul is actually saying this is not just that barrier, it is also the law and the commandments. Now in Galatians 3.13 he had argued that it, by the death of Messiah he removed the curse of the law. But here he's saying he's removed the entire Mosaic law. That's a radical concept, and it means that we are free from Torah. Now, we're not without law. We have the, the law of Messiah. But we are no longer obligated to do all of the Mosaic law. And it's something that none of us, whether we are Messianic Jews like myself or Orthodox Jews, none of us can keep the law of, of Moses as it is written. Uh, many of us can multiply and, and change the laws and add and subtract, but do we actually keep the law of Moses? And the reality is no. Because God has made a new way, and that is through Messiah. And in that one new body, he is saying that those who are far off, the Gentiles, and those that are near, the Jews, are both come together now as one body, and both, according to the quote, and he Paul quotes in Isaiah 57:19, he brought shalom, peace to him, peace, peace to him that is far off, and that is near, says the Lord. There was always the view that Gentiles would be included at some stage. And how are the Gentiles coming in? Through the same spirit, the one spirit. All of us have access through him, Yeshua. And so none of us are no longer condemned based on the law of Moses. For it is Messiah that died, even more than that, he was raised. And he's now at the right hand of God who is interceding for us. It is no longer that we are condemned by the law or under the law, but we are now set free. And so we are set free to observe some of it and free to refrain from some of it. But we cannot do some of it that goes against new covenant law. So I cannot bring a goat to our fellowship here and sacrifice it. That would be an abomination. The sacrifice that has been made has been made by Messiah. And now, through the one spirit, we both have access to God. It is no longer based on the blood of goats and bulls. It is based on the blood of Messiah. And so both of us have access by the one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it is Messiah himself, according to Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, or chapter 7, verse 25, that Messiah, as a high priest, is making intercession for us. But not only him, it is also the Holy Spirit that makes intercession for us. Romans 8.26 Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us with our infirmities. He's making intercession for us. So, on both accounts, we are blessed by Messiah, and in him we are one and in the Holy Spirit, and in Him we are one. And so we, are, we can stand as fellow citizens, no longer as Jews and strangers, but as fellow citizens. Literally what it says is from the same place, the same city, the same polis, 
the, the, the city. And Abraham looked forwards to that same city, Hebrews 11.10. Ultimately, that city we know will come in the book of Revelation uh, in the eternal order that is yet to come. It is that one new city of whose designer is God, who is planned by God, uh, Hebrews 11.10. It is the city of God, the new Jerusalem. So we are members of the one household. Gentiles were without God, but are now included. They are members of the one family. Note that they are not Jews. They remain Gentiles. But in the body of Messiah, in the family of God, are Gentiles and Jews. Jews and Gentiles. All of them are believing unbelieving Jews and unbelieving Gentiles who are not believers in Messiah Yeshua are not part of God's family. Uh, God still has promises for physical Israel, whether they believe or not. Something will happen with them. And there are promises to the physical Gentiles, and some things will happen to them. And some of it they will join together, sadly. So we as God's family need to share the message that God has brought peace that he put us together and he built us together. Paul continues in Ephesians 2 in verse 20 and he says, Having been built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, Messiah Yeshua himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. We are now being built together as a building. That's the metaphor that he's using. Uh, with the foundation being laid by the apostles and the prophets. That means that no other foundation can be built. That means that there cannot be apostles and prophets. These are people who could write scripture. An apostle is somebody who receives direct revelation from God and is able to receive a new communication, as is the prophet. Well, that cannot be today. We may have a word of prophecy or a word of encouragement, but that doesn't make us a prophet or an encourager. These are just individual moments. But we should all be encouragers and pray that God will use us in a prophetic sense but we are not prophets, because then we could write scripture. And we could lay the foundation of the body of Messiah. He himself, it then says, Messiah Yeshua, is the cornerstone. Paul here leans on two things. Isaiah 28, verse 16 says, Therefore thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes in him will not make haste. In other words, our building is being put together on the basis of Messiah, and he's that cornerstone. They would lay down the cornerstone, and from that they would then line up the entire building. This is the first stone. It's a tried stone. In other words, it's been tested to be true. It's a precious cornerstone. Without him, we could not be built because he himself sacrificed for us. 
and he is a sure foundation in other words we will not break we will not have to be changed and relayed now there is this one thing now the last word is the word haste um, we will not be in a hurry to redo this because it cannot be redone in 1 Corinthians 3.16 Paul picks up this same theme again that we are built together and he says do you not know that you are the temple of God and God's spirit dwells within you so we are being built together as one and God's spirit dwells in us uh, 2 Corinthians 6.16 for we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Ephesians 2, 20-22 is what we quote here. We see that same thing. So as such, we are being built together. It is both plural, but it's also for the individual. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, he says, Don't you know that your body is a temple? So, individually, we are temples with our body, with God's Spirit within us. 1 Corinthians 16.19-20. to 20. So, we should glorify God in our body. But collectively, we are a body. Uh, this is not just something Paul said. It's something Peter said as well in 1 Peter 2.51. 1 Peter 2.51. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up in a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Yeshua. He states the same thing, and he then adds that we are a holy priesthood. While Peter is writing to Jewish believers, it's not exclusively either. And so as such, he opens the door there too. For Gentile believers, and we see that too in Revelation, where that same offer is being made. But that means that we gotta keep both our own body and our own lives holy, but also ensure that the whole body of Messiah, Jews and Gentiles, all of us, that we are holy because we are the temple. We are. And I'm really emphasizing that because this is now the one new man. We are now together. So we got to keep our bodies and uh, as individuals, but also our body, the body of Messiah, holy and righteous. God's Holy Spirit dwells within us and collectively in all of us. And we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. Therefore, we gotta worship God, we gotta glorify God together. It's radical what Paul is doing here. Uh, the Apostle Shaul, who knew far more about Jewish theology of the time than, than many of his contemporaries, he clearly stated this You Gentiles, you were lost without hope, without Messiah, without God. But now that you have joined Messiah together with the Jews, you have become one new man. If you are in Messiah, and therefore there should be no division because you are all together being built into a living temple. And for what purpose? It is to make sure that the Spirit of God can dwell richly within 
all of us. Sila.